You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've tuned in. We're going to change up the plans for the show right here and talk about something that's developing in our community. Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from the 13th District, uh, has a very rocky relationship with the president of the United States. He's someone she has said should be impeached. Uh, She and three other freshman members of Congress have been the most outspoken critics uh, of Donald Trump, and there has been a lot of back and forth between them about that tension. Uh, But this week, it took a really different turn when the president said that he thought Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, a congresswoman from Minnesota, uh, should not be admitted to the state of Israel for a trip. He was saying that uh, he believes they're anti-Semitic. He believes that they are some sort of threat to the state of Israel, and he thought that that state should not let them in. Israel initially complied with that request and said that it would deny uh, access to Tlaib and uh, Omar. Uh, Then they changed their minds, but they changed their minds on the basis of Tlaib saying that she would go on a humanitarian basis uh, to visit her grandmother in Palestine, which is uh, a part of the world that is under Israeli control, uh, and that she wouldn't partake in boycotts or protests of the treatment of the Palestinian people while she's there. She tweeted just before we started the show today, she said, silencing me and treating me like a criminal is not what she, her grandmother, wants from me. It would kill a piece of me. I have decided that visiting my grandmother under these oppressive conditions stands against everything I believe in, fighting against racism, oppression, and injustice. As this story has unfolded, I've been thinking a lot about the way we talk about Israel and Palestine, the way we talk about Jewish people and people of Arabic descent, and how we don't ever really get to the essence of what is going on in that relationship. I think it's a little bit outrageous, in fact, that uh, Rashida Tlaib, who is trying to visit her mother in Palestine, has to petition uh, or or beg even another state uh, for the permission to do that. That happens to be the situation that is uh, in control right now in the Middle East. That happens to be the way things work. I am not sure that uh, we are talking enough about why that's true and whether that's just. So joining us now to help us understand a little more about this issue is Peter Trumbor. He is a professor and chair of political science at Oakland University. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Yeah. So let's start with this backdrop of this drama, this idea that the state of Israel controls Who gets to see whom in Palestine, uh, which is uh, a state, uh, I guess, or a territory that is under Israeli control? That strikes me as uh, the the, the cue for a a conversation about equality and about justice and how it plays out in that part of the world. Well, that's absolutely true. So this this is one of those symptoms of the reality that there is no state of Palestine that the Palestinian people do not have what we would think of as, as political sovereignty. And, and what this means is that Israel controls its borders. Israel controls who is allowed to come in and out 
of those Palestinian territories. And, and this is one of those sort of hallmarks of what makes a state a state. Does it have control over its own affairs, including things like who can come in and who can come out? So this is one of those examples that I use when I talk to my students about what does it mean for states to be sovereign? Hmm. Do they control their borders? Do they collect their own taxes? Uh, do they have independent domestic and foreign policies? And what we see with, with the Palestinians is that, none, is that they have none of that. And, and so I think that the, this Tlaib situation is a really potent example of just how little control the Palestinian people have over their own territory and over, frankly, their own destiny right now. Yeah. Uh, and often when we have this conversation, it comes up in the context of criticism of Israel and whether it's okay to criticize Israel for its treatment of Palestinians and whether that criticism rises to the level of anti-Semitism. I think we have a hard time in this country, in fact, having the conversation, having a substantive conversation about the treatment of the Palestinian people without it being crowded out by uh, claims of anti-Semitism from, you know, hurled at anybody who says, this actually does not make sense, even from the most basic humanitarian uh, standpoint, the idea that these people are not free to control their own destiny. Right. I, I mean, I would agree with you. I think what has happened over the last several decades, and, and increasingly so, is that we have weaponized the notion of anti-Semitism as a, as a tool to shield the state of Israel from any serious criticism of its policies. And I think that that's, that's actually a, a, a destructive development. Um, what has developed in this country over the last few years is this argument that if you criticize Israel in any way, then you are uh, inherently anti-Semitic, that you can't criticize a country for its policies um, without also hating Jews. And I think that that is... Uh, has been used to stifle criticism. It's been used as a way to uh, tarnish political opponents, and it's been used as a way, uh, I think, to shield Israel from serious criticism and serious scrutiny uh, in American politics. And, and I think that episodes like this uh, help us to sort of see um, how these two things can, in fact, be different how you can criticize Israel and its policies of occupation while at the same time not being an anti-Semite. You know, I also think it's important to note that uh, the the concerns that Israel has about security in that region are very real and also very significant. And And it's important not to, um, I think, not to threaten the idea of uh, a Jewish state that that uh, was was um, was created as a way to um, to keep them safe from uh, from influences around the world that would do them harm, including those influences right there in the Middle East. But but I think there's a way to balance that uh, balance that interest against uh, the interests of other people in that region, and particularly the Palestinian people. Um, again, I think we have a hard time doing that, but I think it's entirely possible. I think it's in, it's possible to say uh, that uh, the state of Israel should have its own sovereignty and safety, but that the Palestinian people deserve the very same thing uh, and that they don't have it at this point. 
Well, that's right. And that was what the essence has always been of the so-called two-state solution, that Israel has a right to exist, but so does a Palestinian state, and that these two entities have a right to exist and to be secure in their own borders, with their own territory, and with their own, their own polities, and all of that. And what's happened is we have moved further and further away from um, the reality of a possible two-state solution, uh, both through a combination of, of, of changes and policy directions that have taken place in Israel, but also as a consequence over the last several years of policy decisions made here in the United States. Um, it, there's very little indication, and certainly the, the so-called peace proposal that, that Jared Kushner has been working on, there is essentially no framework for a two-state solution in that. I mean, Kushner's peace plan has been put together with no input from the Palestinians whatsoever. Mm. Um, and, and, and this idea that somehow that's going to be the solution that no one else has been able to reach to this problem, I think, is is just one more sort of fantasy that has come out of this administration. Mm. Um, but I would agree with you, right? Both states have a right to be secure, to be sovereign, and to control their own destinies. And right now that, that is being denied to the Palestinians. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Peter Trumbor. He is a professor and the chair of the political science department at Oakland University. We're talking about the drama unfolding around one of our members of Congress here in southeast Michigan, Rashida Tlaib, who represents the 13th congressional district. Uh, she had earlier been denied access to visit her grandmother in Palestine by the state of Israel, which controls what happens in the territory of Palestine. Uh, Israel later reversed its decision and said that she could visit as long as she didn't partake in boycotts or protests while she was there. She has now said she will not go because uh, acquiescing to those restrictions uh, would violate many of the things that uh, she believes in. If you want to join the conversation Give us a call and tell us what you think of this situation that initially saw two members of Congress, including Tlaib and uh, Ilhan Omar, who is a congresswoman from Minnesota, uh, banned from traveling to Israel, then saw Israel changing its mind uh, for Tlaib and then followed by her decision not to go at all. And what do you think of the president of the United States asking a foreign leader to ban Americans, American members of Congress, from visiting their country. Uh, that's an extraordinary, extraordinary instance uh, in and of itself. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Um, let's go to Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, welcome to Detroit Today. Interesting show, Stephen. Uh, I think we're missing the point. It's not a two-state solution or ten-state solution. The issue is freedom of speech. If you bash Israel, you're not allowed in Israel. And I, I'm at a I'm shocked. I was under the impression that they were a parliamentary or a uh, democratic society where they had freedom of speech. Apparently, they don't. Hmm. And this is the first I've ever heard that they do not have freedom of speech. If, if you bash Israel, you're not allowed in the country. And uh, we should really appreciate the freedom we enjoy in this country. We could do all kinds of stuff over here. And, and we're welcomed and, uh, and, and we're embraced. But uh, hmm. it, it was—it's really an eye-opening. Yeah, Vernon, I, I appreciate the call and and you interjecting that point, uh, Peter. That reminds me that that one of the things we say a lot uh, about 
Israel is that it is the lone democracy in uh, in that region of the world or or our closest ally in democracy. But it's not an identical democracy to the United States. There are some real differences in terms of the freedoms. Oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, this is and this has been one of the problems is that the, the Palestinians who are living in the occupied territories are denied the right to participate in Israeli politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are controlled by the government of Israel. Their, 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 their lives and their destinies are really in the hands of the Israeli state. But they have no voice in, um, in the, the, the politics and in the policies that affect their daily lives. And this has been one of the problems that's been identified with this notion of a, of, of a single state that would include the Palestinians. I mean, part of the problem that, that Israel sees is that bringing the the Palestinians and the occupied territories into the state of Israel as equal citizens would fundamentally alter the character of Israel as a Jewish state. And this is something they are not willing to see. And so what we have is this situation, which which former President Jimmy Carter, I think, in, in, in many ways rightly has characterized as almost an apartheid situation, in which you have a, a subjected people who have no democratic rights uh, under the system in which they are governed. And I, and I think that that's a fundamental problem that we have to confront whenever we're going to describe Israel as the region's only democracy. Mm. It's a democracy that's limited in very specific ways. And, and I wonder what you make, Peter, of the role of the president of the United States in all of this. As I said, it's an extraordinary thing to see a president uh, implore a foreign leader to deny access to anything uh, for an American or for an American member of Congress. But, but I also think this betrays um, uh, something important about the relationship between the United States uh, and Israel and Palestine as it pertains to the to the Trump administration. And you were talking earlier about this this uh, idea that Jared Kushner has for a, a, a peaceful solution. I think the president's rhetoric here damages uh, the potential for all kinds of progress there. Well, well, I think that's true. I mean, we kind of get tired of talking about all of the unprecedented things that happen under President Trump, but this is, this is just another one. I mean, we generally do not see this kind of, of intervention on the part of an American president asking a, a foreign government to bar access to other members of his own government. I mean, this is, there, there is a, a separation of powers issue here that we should be aware of as well. As members of Congress, uh, Representative Omar and Representative Tlaib have certain rights and responsibilities that the president should not interfere in. Now, it makes sense, I suppose, in terms of the president's political feud with both of those two members of Congress. Both of them are outspoken critics of Israel. They are both proponents of the boycott and divestment movement, and that's, and that's largely why Israel would like to keep them out. Uh, and so you have a confluence of interests here. This allows the president to continue to throw gasoline on the fires of a political battle that, that he's decided he wants to wage for his own political reasons. But it also serves the interests of an Israeli government that wants to prevent anybody who was critical or too critical from coming in and and what they would consider stirring up trouble. So this is, uh, I suppose, this this policy decision to keep both Omar and Tlaib out uh, is a convenient political win for uh, two leaders who have identified each other 
as allies. Okay, Peter Trumbor, Professor of Political Science and Chair of the Political Science Department at Oakland University. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. You're welcome. All right, up next, I'm going to be joined by WDET colleague Anne DeLisi, who's here to talk about her upcoming essential conversation with NPR national political correspondent Don Gagne. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.